This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Alex Hogan. E-cigarettes and vapes have long been considered a better alternative to traditional cigarettes. However, in the past weeks, the FDA took big steps towards banning products from major e-cigarette company Juul, citing safety concerns. Now, the company appealed, and this past week, the agency reversed its ban as they continue to review Juul's vaping products with questions remaining about how safe they really are. We spoke with former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who explained why the FDA originally pursued the Juul ban while breaking down the positive and negative effects we see from e-cigarettes across the country. We made some edits for time, and we thought you might like to hear the whole thing. So thanks for listening, and if you haven't already, subscribe to the weekday Fox News Rundown podcast. Now here's former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb on the Fox News Rundown Extra. So let's start with kind of bringing listeners up to speed with basically what they would need to know if they haven't been reading or haven't been hearing anything about this. The FDA banned jewel vaping devices and flavored pods, but then it was temporarily blocked by a federal appeals court and then Juul filed a motion to extend the stay. So can you break this down for all of our listeners? Look, this has been a, a more protracted issue where FDA has been trying to promulgate policies to try to reduce the rate of um, use of combustible tobacco products while opening up pathways for currently addicted adult smokers to transition to non-combustible alternatives, including vaping products, electronic nicotine delivery systems, as well as medicinal nicotine. And this was part of a policy that we put out in 2017 where we tried to promulgate regulations that would regulate nicotine in the combustible products and combustible cigarettes to render them minimally non-addictive, while at the same time opening up pathways and creating a series of regulatory gates to get more non-combustible alternatives onto the market for adult smokers who still wanted to enjoy satisfying levels of nicotine, but didn't want to do it through um, combustible products that had all the problems of combustion associated with them. After all, it's not the nicotine itself that causes all the death and disease from smoking, it's the combustion. And so if you can transition a lot of current smokers onto non-combustible products, you could probably have a significant public health impact. So the agency has been trying to um, balance two competing challenges. One is the challenge of trying to advance that vision of reducing use of combustible products while keeping kids from getting initiated on nicotine through those same alternatives. And we saw after we promulgated those policies in 2017, saw a very dramatic rise in the rate of use of e-cigarettes by kids driven largely by Juul. Um, Juul was by far the product being most uh, abused by children. And the concern became, I think rightly so, that you're going to end up hooking a whole new generation of children onto nicotine, some proportion of which are going to migrate onto combustible products if we don't intervene to take steps to try to reduce the appeal of these products to kids. And so 
you know, we, we took a series of enforcement actions when I was at FDA against some of the manufacturers that we felt were positioning these products to children, while at the same time trying to implement some um, regulations that would reduce their appeal to kids. One was the fruity flavors. Others dealt with the way they were sold and marketed, the kinds of stores they were sold in, the kinds of restrictions that were put in place on the sale of those products. Congress stepped in and raised the age requirements for purchasing tobacco products, recognizing the problem on a very broadly bipartisan basis. Now what you're seeing in the current administration, I think, is you know, a continuation of some of those efforts, as well as you know, the administration extending some of those, um, those measures. They have cleared some of the vaping products to remain on the market. So there's been three vaping products that have been approved by FDA. And more recently, they made a decision um, to pull Juul off the market um, because of very specific problems that they found associated with that particular product. Not necessarily the legacy of youth abuse of that product. That wasn't the, the factor that they cited in the reason for denying the application. It was specific manufacturing problems uh, related to that product. For example, they felt that it was, uh, it was manufactured in a way that it allowed the leaking of the, um, the vaping liquid where it could become superheated and potentially have um, some harmful effects. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The uh, FDA said in this that it doesn't see clinical information that suggests that there is an immediate risk to using Juul products. So does does that mean that the agency thinks that the information provided just isn't factual or that the information provided isn't straightforward enough to alert the public about the possible side effects and addiction? It's probably the latter, that the information was incomplete. Um, there isn't, they didn't cite any evidence, as you noted, saying that the product itself uh, had risks in excess of what the other products had associated with them. After all, these aren't, you know, entirely safe products. They're, you know, they're, they're um, there are, are harms associated anytime you're going to be inhaling something like that into your lungs. Um, so, you know, it's not risk-free, it's just substantially less risk than, than smoking combustible tobacco. So for a current smoker who can fully transition to a vaping product, they're going to improve um, their health by doing that. But, what they said with the Juul product was that there were certain problems associated with that device and this, this leaking that I mentioned, and that the applicant didn't provide sufficient uh, evidence to sort of quell the agency's concerns. And so it, it could be an issue where the company could resubmit more data and potentially get an approval. If you read, if you read the, um, the application, the denial that FDA issued, it does seem to leave the door open to the possibility that they could file more information with the agency. Now, that said, that would take a while. The company's mm -hmm. working on a next generation product that provides Bluetooth tethering to the phone where you can you know, fully age restrict these products. In fact, most of the companies are doing that. And I think by the time they would probably refile, do the studies that the FDA might require and refile, they'll probably be more focused on that next generation product, assuming they can continue as a going concern in the interim. But I think those next generation products, just as an aside, I think those next generation products really 
provide um, a lot of opportunity for current uh, adult smokers, because if you can truly um, make these child resistant, nothing's child proof, but if you can, you know, require age verification um, on the initial purchase of the device and then have the device tethered to a, a phone, a smartphone through Bluetooth to allow it to be used, that's a pretty, I don't, I don't want to say foolproof system, but that's a pretty vigorous system for making sure these aren't going to get into the hands of children. And I think that opens up more opportunities to reintroduce some of the features and some of the you know, availability that made them more attractive to adults, selling them in convenience stores, maybe reintroducing the flavors as a possibility. A lot of adult smokers like the flavors and it helped them quit combustible tobacco. So you don't want to deny them that opportunity unnecessarily. Exactly. Some users of Juul are really against this move, saying that this basically is is taking away a a step that they used to walk away from cigarettes. So that's their perspective. And, And do you think that this motion, this move could lead to more of an emphasis on alternatives right now, like gum or patches? You know, potentially. I think that the FDA, one of the things that um, I wish that we advanced further when I was at the agency, which we pushed on, but it, but it was, it was uh, challenging to get the drug center to um, change some of its historical approach to these products was the medicinal nicotine products. You know, one of the things that makes a nicotine replacement product that's sold as a, an over-the-counter drug attractive to smokers is the speed of the delivery of the nicotine. Uh, the reason why cigarettes are so addictive isn't just the high amount of nicotine in them, because after all, you can get a, a gum or a patch or a lozenge that has a high amount of nicotine in it. Um, it's the speed of the delivery of the nicotine to the brain. That's that's what gives it mm-hmm. some of its addictive qualities. And so if you can come up with medicinal nicotine products that can uh, offer uh, nicotine in a sort of formulation that allows more rapid delivery into the blood, that could be a potentially more attractive product to an adult smoker who's looking to quit combustible tobacco and wants an alternative so they can still get access to satisfying levels of nicotine. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity for that. The reason why the vaping products are attractive is because they, if you look at the pharmacokinetics of some of these vaping products, Juul included, they really replicate the the sort of experience of smoking in terms of the speed of delivery of nicotine. And so for a a smoker, you can replicate a lot of the appeal that you get from smoking in terms of using a a combustible cigarette as a nicotine delivery device through a vaping product. And so I think that there's a real opportunity to continue to refine these products and use them as an alternative to smokers. You know, keep in mind, Juul is no longer the market leader on the, on the market. I know a lot of smokers were able to quit with that product. And for a while, it was the dominant product in the marketplace. But there are others now. They've eclipsed it in sales and FDA has cleared them. So they're going to remain on the market. And as I said, there's these, this wave of next generation products, I think, are going to be even more attractive to smokers not just because they're more kid-proof, which is going to make them attractive to regulators, but also because of that speed of delivery of nicotine. If you look at the the parameters of some of these new products that will be coming onto the market, the pharmacokinetics, they seem to be more uh, more likely to replicate the experience of smoking combustible cigarette in terms of how they deliver nicotine into the blood. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
Yeah. And especially since we're talking about these products and the goal of it being child proof, as of last year, one out of every nine high schoolers says that they've used one of these products in the last 30 days and one out of every 35 middle schoolers. So this is a huge number in society. So do you think that this is comparable to cigarette usage in the teens back in the 60s and the 70s before cigarettes were really marketed as being unhealthy and unsafe? Look, we've seen overall tobacco use come down among children, and that's that's the good thing. And we've seen the use of combustible tobacco come down, although we have seen things like um, dipping go up and, and cigar use among kids. If you look at the mm-hmm. trends in, in, in recent years, um, there's there's no question. This was always the, the criticism of the policies aimed at trying to curb teen use of the e-cigarettes, that some proportion of kids who might have chosen to smoke are now using e-cigarettes instead. I think that that's a relatively small proportion, quite frankly. I think it's more likely the case that kids who never would have chosen to use nicotine at all um, are now being initiated on it on e-cigarettes. I think that's a higher proportion of what we're seeing among children. And the concern is twofold. Number one, you know, nicotine is not a completely or threefold. Nicotine is not a completely benign substance, even though it's not the, what causes all the death and disease of from smoking. Um, number two, inhaling anything into your lungs uh, is not healthful. There's going to be some deleterious effect of that over time. The lung is not a good drug delivery vehicle. We don't use the lung to deliver drugs. There's a lot of drugs that could potentially be delivered through the lung and they cross the 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 barrier and can get into the blood. For example, a lot of companies have tried to make inhaled insulins. And what we found whenever we tried to make pharmaceutical products and deliver them through the lung was that there was always secondary damage to the lung. So as drug regulators, we only like to deliver drugs into the lung when we're trying to treat the lung. So inhaled corticosteroids for asthmatics and COPD and things like that. You don't want to use the lung as a drug delivery platform. And third, the, the third concern is that some proportion of those kids who are getting initiated on nicotine through e-cigarettes are going to migrate onto combustible tobacco. We know that the data shows that, you know, it could be cheaper to smoke and that's why kids choose to do it to to smoke combustible cigarettes. So some proportion of kids who get initiated onto nicotine through e-cigarettes will become long-term smokers. And that's the third reason why you don't want to see this big complement of children starting to use e-cigarettes. Yeah, because it's basically just paving the way for the next generation of of smokers. And and, in trying to combat that and trying to bring down the level of people, the numbers of people who do smoke in the U.S. Uh, what do you think about the marketing and what that does over the course of decades? Like taking a look at the U.K. where I am, in the 1970s, smoking rates were about 50%. So the majority of the population smoked. And as of 2020, only 13% of the country smokes. And a lot of that is attributed to marketing, specifically the law here that companies have to include very graphic photos of rotting teeth and throat cancer and tumors on their products. And there was the potential of that kind of law being passed in the U.S., but it was struck down. So right now there are warnings on cigarette packs and other products, but do you personally think that more imagery like that would make a difference for not only adults, but also kids that are potentially using these substances? Yeah, I mean, that that may still go forward. It was um, it was held up. It's held up in the courts on First Amendment grounds. But FDA was given the opportunity to um, sort of reformulate the ads, the, the, the graphic warnings that would be required on um, the cigarette packages. And I think that that's still um, moving its way through the regulatory process. It was it was um, challenged on First Amendment grounds and whether or not the the 
commercial speech was protected speech and could companies be compelled to have to speak in a certain way. So we'll, we'll see where that ends up. I think that, that the, the data on the graphic warnings was in some respects uh, mixed. There was some evidence that showed that it did have an impact on people and did, did make people more conscious of the unhealthy effects of using combustible tobacco products and other kinds of tobacco products like, um, like dip. Uh, but maybe that the impact of those those kinds of ads wasn't as significant as we perceived. And in terms of where you're going to kind of make your regulatory push and, and try to advance policies, you might not be getting the most bang for your buck with those kinds of mm. approaches. But I think that, you know, by and large, what you've seen public health authorities pursue, you know, including the FDA when I was running the agency was an all of the above approach. If there was something that you could do that could make people more aware of the unhealthful effects of tobacco use um, while not curtailing or, um, or significantly hampering opportunities for current adult smokers to transition either off of cigarettes or onto things that were um, less harmful, you wanted to pursue those. And that's why you know we always had, I, mm-hmm. I'd rather be putting out more warnings about using combustible tobacco than more restrictions on e-cigarettes because the e-cigarettes if we can keep the kids from using them, ultimately they're going to provide an opportunity for current adult smokers to transition to a product that we know isn't going to have all the health impacts of combustion if they can fully transition to that electronic nicotine delivery system. Um, so if I can try to reduce smoking rates through other means by you know, making them people more aware of the unhealthful effects and get more smokers to migrate off of combustible tobacco, either completely or onto something that doesn't have all the harmful effects of combustion. That's where I'm going to want to spend more of my time. So I think you've seen the agency try to pursue those avenues um, because you you end up, it's, it it can be seen as sort of all upside, you know, you're going to make people more aware of the unhealthful effects without putting unnecessary barriers in the way of an adult smoker. Well, another effort that the FDA is pursuing to limit smoking in the U.S. is the plan to cut down nicotine levels. So New Zealand right now is the only country that has moved forward with this kind of goal. Do you think that this is feasible in the U.S.? Do you think that the country is is ready and is moving in the direction of more regulation and support for that when it comes to these products? I think it's feasible in the U.S. I think it's a long time horizon to implementing it. Um, And we always knew that, you know, this was first proposed in 2017. It was supported by the administration, by the Trump administration at the time. Um, But we always knew it was going to be take a long time to transition to a a framework where you can start to reduce the nicotine levels in the combustible products so that the combustible products can no longer sustain addiction. You know, first of all, you needed to give the industry time to retool. This wasn't something that they could do overnight. You also needed to get the framework in place that would allow products on the market that would offer an alternative to currently addicted adult smokers. You couldn't just say, you know, we're taking all the the combustible nicotine products off the market and this isn't going to be available anymore. Nicotine after all Mm -hmm. is a legal substance. There's adults who who want to enjoy it. There's adults who are addicted to it. Um, So we needed to provide those alternatives. And, And that's what you've seen, I think, the agency try to do. I think where you see a debate in the public health community is among some who don't want to see any nicotine delivery vehicle on the market and would like to take all these cigarettes off the market. And I don't think that that's a sort of really viable approach. I think we need to provide an alternative for adult smokers. And the idea is to make the combustible products less attractive and then open up a pathway for the non-combustible products. And so hopefully 
over time, you'll migrate more smokers down the continuum of risk onto the non-combustible products. That's also why we sought to regulate the flavors in the combustible products and leave the flavors in the non-combustible products. Because if you if you walked into a quick check and you saw only tobacco flavored cigarettes on the shelf, but you saw the e-cigarettes and there you could get menthol and mint and other flavors, all of a sudden the e-cigarettes look more attractive. They might be more flavorful mm-hmm. and more attractive than combustible products. And maybe more people will make the decision to purchase that non-combustible product. So that was, that was part of the thesis and, you know, regulating the flavors in the combustible products, reducing the nicotine, in the combustible products while leaving those attributes in the non-combustible products, you would bias the market away from the combustion and towards the non-combustion and hopefully have a health impact at the same time. Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former FDA commissioner and a senior fellow at AEI. Thank you so much for your insight and for joining us. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.